0: Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Be seated if you would. Hey, welcome to Connect Church today. Our end is we are going to make much of Jesus as we do everything we can to connect everyone to the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm glad we get to do that together today. i tell you what, our marriage retreat was incredible this past weekend. We're working hard with Dream More to get 150 rooms for next year so that everybody who wants to go uh, can be a part. But God did some pretty incredible things. I'm really excited, too, about this afternoon. I'm a dad of three daughters And we are all going to the daddy-daughter dance, and we are going to have a blast tonight. And so dads, take your daughters. If you've not signed up, there's still time. starts at 5 o'clock today. And I'm going to tell you something. It's a whole lot of fun. Now, I want us to do this. I quickly want to dive into today's question. In our series, Ask Me a Question, I want to tackle one of the most asked questions that, that I get. It's one of the most asked, but it's also... One of the most anxiety-inducing questions that believers ask of me. You ready? Here it is. Can I lose my salvation? Can I fall from grace? Can I lose it? Can I lose Him? Can I fall from His grace? It's almost as if believers, we... We do something you might have done as a kid, right? We we get to our relationship with Jesus and go, He loves me. Mm. He loves me not. But no, no, He he loves me today. He loves me not. You know, as a believer, you know what I get to think? Which is it? This whole idea, this illustration just drives me crazy. Which is it in my faith? Am I His or... Am I not? Am I saved or or am I not? Which is it? You see, today... I'm going to make the biblical case that once a person is is truly saved by Jesus, that once a person is in Christ, that once a person is a part of the family of God, you ready? Here's some truths we're going to find. That you are always in Christ, that you are saved forever, and that you are always a part of the family of God. He doesn't kick us out. I'm going to make the biblical case for that today, knowing this full well, that there are people I love even in this room who don't really agree with me on all this. And that's okay. Uh, You know, the church decries cancel culture outside the walls. But I'm going to tell you, it's very much alive inside the church. But I'm going to tell you, even if you disagree with me here, I I can sit at a table with you. Man, I can serve Jesus. But you know what? I'm also going to labor to go, man, there's some joy here that I'm afraid you're missing out on. There's some joy of knowing that you are His. But here's the question that kind of comes to mind. What is it that drives this thought line, this, this kind of this idea that a believer can lose their salvation or maybe they can fall for grace? What are the drivers of that? Well, let me tell you one driver. You ready? Experience just what we experience, what we see and what we hear. When well, we have somebody who professes Jesus with their mouth, but there's no fruit or evidence of Jesus lived out in their life, and, and our experience teaches us something's not right. Now, I'm going to give you a hermeneutic or a Bible study tip from last week just to remind you as we start this sermon today, that be careful that what you see and what you hear and what you feel and what you experience... Doesn't make you forget what God has said. But one of the drivers is just what we experience. Man, another driver is maybe you personally have gone through a season of, of sin, of struggle, of, of straying. And as a believer, you get to the place you go, I just I don't feel saved anymore. I don't, I don't know that I'm still. That I'm still saved. And and it kind of produces in you this. And fills you up with this worry. And this anxiety. Maybe another driver. Is that you've read a few passages of scripture. That seemingly at a first glance. Kind of support this idea that. You can lose your salvation. That that you can fall from grace. So here's what I want us to do. As we begin to approach the text. Let, Let me give you some good Some Bible study tools as we begin to unpack today's scripture. First of all, I want to encourage you that when you're studying the Word of God, don't let the obscure crowd out the obvious. And what I mean is this that in scripture, when I say there's an obscure passage, what I mean is that, man, there's passages in there that are difficult to understand and interpret. They just are to work through. Now, they're important, they're vital but they're obscure in some ways because they're difficult to interpret. And by the way, passages like those are few and far between. So make sure that you don't let the obscure crowd out what is obvious teaching in the Word of God. Also, we must recognize there, there is no passage of Scripture that exists in a vacuum. You can do some real damage by thinking Scripture alone exists in a vacuum. In fact, what we have towards us and what help we have is the whole of Scripture, is is all of it to help us to interpret challenging verses. In a sense, let me tell you a good Bible study tool. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. And we're going to see that in today's text as we begin to navigate it. So, in your Bibles, let's go to the the book of Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 through 6. I'm going to tell you something. This is a difficult passage to navigate. Oh, but navigate we will together today. I don't want to shy away from the hard stuff. There are other passages that that are difficult and challenging, but perhaps this is the most challenging. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 is one of those verses that, that have probably induced more anxiety and concern for the believer regarding their salvation and its security more than any any other. So you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna, we're gonna go there because you know what? You're gonna see why that is. Watch this in Hebrews chapter six, starting in verse four. That it is impossible. For those who have once been enlightened. Now understand something this, enlightened. This idea of enlightenment means this. It is impossible for those who have been been exposed to good biblical truth and doctrine and teaching. Now watch what it says here. Who have once been enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift. They have tasted in both the goodness and the gospel of Jesus Christ who have shared in the Holy Spirit, the author of Hebrews uh, continues. That means this, that they have taken part, that they have shared in the moving and this experience with the Holy Spirit. As he moves their hearts to Christ, and I want to remind you of something too, that one of the ways the Holy Spirit moves is that he He draws unbelievers to Christ, according to John chapter 16, verse 8. Now watch this in verse 5. Who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. Hey, guys, you know what this is saying? It's speaking of those who've experienced it all. I mean, they've seen it all, but watch this. And who have fallen away. That rubs against you a little bit. For them to be brought back to repentance, it's impossible. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to the same public disgrace. You read that, and you know what you think? You know what pops up in your mind right away? Oh no, He could love me not. I could lose Him. I can... I can fall away. Is that what this passage is teaching to the believer, that we could lose our salvation? Hey, can I share with you something about my humanity? I lose everything. I lose my keys. I lose my phone. I lose my kids. I lose everything if it's in my ability to lose. And I'm going to tell you this truth. If you and I can lose our salvation, we will. If we can lose our salvation without question, we will. Is this where the text is going? Well, let's dive in just for a moment. One question I've got to do is I've got to ask the author of Hebrews who he's addressing. Are you addressing believers in Christ? Or are you addressing those who are not yet in Christ? And now let me tell you, I'm going to argue, I'm going to back it up here in a minute. I would argue that the author of Hebrews is addressing people who have been greatly influenced by the gospel, but have not acted in saving faith, placing their full faith and trust in Jesus and following him. You ready? They're on the brink, but they have yet to believe in and on Jesus And what this passage does is it serves as a warning to them that if you still reject, you still refuse Jesus after all the truth, after all the gospel you've been exposed to, after the moving of the Holy Spirit in your heart and your life that you've experienced, you'll never get another chance like this. And as the author of Hebrews says, it is to your loss. Eugene Peterson came up with the translation called the Message Bible it's better for us to see that as his paraphrasing of Scripture. And sometimes it's pretty meaningful, especially in this passage here. Watch what he writes. He says, this again is his paraphrase of the text. Once people have seen the light, once they've gotten a taste of heaven and been a part of the work of the Holy Spirit, once they've personally experienced the sheer goodness of God's Word and the powers breaking in on us, if they turn their backs on him, washing their hands of the whole thing, well, they can't start over as if nothing happened. That's impossible. Why, they've re-crucified Jesus. By their rejection of him, they have repudiated him. They have disgraced and dishonored him in public. He did a pretty good job. did a, a pretty good job summing that up. And here's, here's something we find, too. On in verse 7 and 8, and you're welcome to read over that, verse 7 through 8, the verses immediately following where we've been camped out. The author of Hebrews uses an analogy to illustrate two different types of people by talking about two different fields. Now, both fields have the same environment and receive the same nourishment from that environment, all right? And in the text in verse seven and eight, it's rain. It's, it's the Holy Spirit moving, and it's the gospel that's nourishing both fields. But we find, as this analogy plays out, only one of the fields bears fruit. The other field, the other person, produces only thorns and thistles or, or weeds. So here's what I want to do. I want to focus in on the field that the author of Hebrews talks about that bears no fruit. No, this is not the picture of a field that had had bare fruit one time in its existence and then lost it. It one time had life and it lost that life. That's not the picture at all painted in Hebrews. It is a field or a person who is greatly influenced by the gospel on the brink of believing But we're in danger of walking away from Jesus. It's kind of tantamount to the person who says, Jesus, I like your stuff. I like your church. I like your songs. I like your experience. but, But I'm good. I'll take care of me. I don't need you. I just want your stuff. I just want your stuff. And so we find the danger the author of Hebrews warns is that if you harden your heart and so seal your eternity, when you harden your heart to the gospel by saying no to the Holy Spirit, no to Jesus, and no to follow him, he says, why, it's impossible to be brought back to repentance. And by the way, here's hoping that Hebrews chapter 6 is speaking to those who are not in Christ. Because if we make this a doctrine for believers who can lose their salvation, there's some starting realizations, implications that are found here. Number one, that once you are saved and if you lose it, you can never get it back again. You're one and done. You've blown it. There's no second chance because if it's addressing believers who can lose their salvation, once you've done so, once you've fallen away, it is impossible for you to be brought back to repentance. Man, that speaks a whole lot into the context. So what we learn from Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 and 7 eight is we learn this, a valuable lesson on how to study the Bible. A valuable lesson on what it is for you and I to let Scripture interpret Scripture, to realize the context is key. And to let Scripture interpret Scripture in challenging passages and verses like Hebrews 6, 4 through 8. 2 Timothy 2, 12 and others. And for us to be careful not to let the obscure, those difficult passages, crowd out what is obvious. And that is the teaching of the whole of scripture. One of the questions you've got to be careful to ask an author in the Bible is, is he addressing specifically a group of people? And is he addressing salvation explicitly? And to realize this, if there's a challenge to understand the text, we head to the obvious teachings of Scripture to shed light on the obscure. But one question I have for the position of can a believer really lose their salvation? And for the person and for the ideology, the thought line that yes, they can. Here, let, let me ask you in Hebrews 6 4 through 6, in 2 Timothy and other places, I gotta, where's the line? Where, where's the line in Scripture? Where is the definitive passage? Where's the divining dividing line that says, you know what? You've sinned too much. You've strayed too far. Your struggle has gone on too long. Where is that line? When a believer becomes an unbeliever again. When a saved person becomes lost again. Where a child of God is forcibly kicked out of his family. One sin... Is that, is that the line? We don't want to be the line, but is it, is it one sin? Here's the problem with one sin. they thinking, no, we're okay with one sin. It's more than one. Because James 2.10 teaches that whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking in all of it. Is it one sin? Is it, is it two sins? What sin? How many times with one sin? John wrote this to the church in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I love it. These things I have written to you who believe in the Son of God, in order that you may, watch this, that you may know that you have eternal life. Without definitive passages or a divine, defining line in Scripture, how can you ever know you really have eternal life in Christ if you can't really be certain whether you're saved or not, whether you've crossed that line? if your salvation and my salvation and its security is based on our performance, I don't know a day that could go by that we could know and be certain that we are really in Christ. And so let me hop on now my side of the argument and Let me tell you why it is that I believe once you're in Christ, you're always in Christ. Once you are saved, believer, you are saved forever. That once you're in the family of God, then he never kicks you out. And here's the biggest part of that. You ready? Why I believe that is because of the promises of God to every believer in Christ. The promises of God to every believer in Christ. In Christ, Well, let's hop into one of those promises. John chapter 10, verse 27 through 29, Jesus is speaking. He is the good shepherd. And listen to what he says. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So now we know this. In verse 27, we're speaking of believers. Not just in name, not just in profession, but believers who follow Jesus with their life. In verse 28, he says this. I give them eternal life. Unless they sin, struggle, or, no, it's not there. I, I, and they shall never perish unless they fall away, unless they, unless they struggle. It's, it's not there. No one will snatch them out of, out of my hand uh, unless they sin too long, they've gone too far. Uh, that, it's not in there. Verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Watch this. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. It's as if. You take a piece of paper, and Pastor David showed me this, and you write your name down on this piece of paper, and you take it and you fold it up, and you put it right here in my palm, and I close my fist around it. I take my other hand, and at the weakest points, I put my other hand around my fist, and I say to you, come after it. Try to pry my hands loose. Now listen, it's going to be really hard for you to do that. Maybe you could, but it's going to be a fight. And then I realize that just because there's a possibility you could at some point, trust me, if you go longer two minutes, you won. You might be convinced, no, I can get that out of your hand. Then we realize the very nature of our God that he is stronger than all, that he is bigger than all. And we realize that no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. And you might say to yourself, what about me? Can I take myself out of his hands? Let me tell you something. If you are a someone who follows after Jesus, if you are someone who is a believer in Christ, you are a no one in this text. Meaning this, no one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. You ready? Including you. If you are a someone in Christ, you are a no one in this text, in this promise of Jesus in John chapter 10. Now, let me ask you a couple things about this, uh, this text here, this promise of Jesus for every believer. Where are the conditions? Where are the defining lines? Where is it that, hey, they shall never perish, but unless they sin or struggle or stray, that no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand unless they sin or struggle or stray. I mean, it's not in there. Why? Because there are no conditions on this unconditional promise of God. I want you to hear me. Believer, it is not our place to put conditions on that which God has made unconditional. And it's not our place. You ain't powerful enough, and I'm not. We cannot put conditions on those promises that God has made unconditional. And then we find ourselves in another incredible promise. And by the way, there are so many that I literally just struggled figuring out which ones I would throw into the sermon today. I love this one out of Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion unless you sin, unless you struggle, unless you stray. Wait, wait, I'm so sorry. It's not what it says until the day of Christ Jesus once again we have an unconditional promise to the believer that you and I cannot make conditional and we just can't we can't do it Here's one of my favorite promises out of Romans chapter five, chapter eight, verse thirty-five. Man, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, how trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? But on in verse 38, he says, For I am convinced, Paul writes, that neither death nor light, nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, where are the conditions? Where does it say nothing can separate unless you sin, believer, unless you, go through a, unless you go through a struggle, or unless at times you stray in a season of your life? Guys, yet again we find another unconditional promise of God for the believer that we have no right to make conditional. Have no right. Let let me close in this promise, can I? In this section of my sermon. How about Hebrews 13, 5? Hey, mind you, the very same author who wrote Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 6. Quoting the Old Testament, he says this. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Unless you sin too much. Unless you struggle too long. Unless you stray too far. No, no, no. Never will I leave you. And never will I forsake you. An unconditional promise. Hey, by the way, where is the fall away language of chapter 6? Maybe, just maybe, it's not in here because here he's addressing believers in Christ. And in Hebrews chapter 6, he's addressing those on the brink of believing. Maybe just, just maybe. Believer, I'm going to say it for the fourth time. You and I cannot take the obvious teaching of our place and our position in Christ forever. We cannot take such obvious teaching and put conditions on the unconditional promises of God. We can't do it. So here's the question that we have. And why do so many of us struggle buying in to once we're saved, we're forever saved? Why do we struggle buying in that once we're in Christ, we're always in Christ? Why do we struggle in the fact that once we're a child of God, He never kicks us out of the family? I'm going to give you three reasons why we struggle. Number one, sin confuses. Sin confuses. You know, the truth is, is that When we know the truth and we refuse to walk in truth, and by the way, believer, that happens to us, sin begins its work and it begins to cloud our minds and confuse our hearts to the promises of God. And sin confuses. There's a a, a Christian leader by the name of Josh Howerton, and he stood in a room with over 40 pastors and they were addressing the conversation, the topic that a lot of us pastors hear at some point in our ministry. And that is people who leave your church and go, man, I just, I'm just not getting fed. Man, I just wish my church would go deeper. So he's addressing a room full of pastors who have heard this, who've been devastated by this. And he said, but here's the thing, pastor. And this is what he told them. The vast majority of Christians are educated past their level of obedience that the vast majority of us are educated biblically and in truth past our level of obedience. And so we realize this, that we knowing the truth and yet we refuse to walk in the truth is an invitation for sin to come in and to cloud our minds and to confuse our hearts to the very promises of God. And so you know what we begin to do? Well, I know he said, Never will I leave you and forsake you. But did he really mean that? It clouds the mind and it confuses our heart. Sin, confusion. So, you know what, believer? You know what the remedy to that is? Stop walking in the disobedience to the Word of God. Walk in the light of Scripture, says, as He is in the light, and walk obedience to Christ, confident that you're his forever. Here's the second reason. Not only does sin confuse, but feelings mislead. Feelings mislead us. I shared this in our marriage conference. Man, feelings are a wonderful gift because they allow us to experience life. But hear me, they are a terrible guide. They are an absolutely terrible guide. You know, here's what we remember, the truth of God's Word. That if I'm a believer in Christ, I am a person, I am a man of faith, and not just feelings. i got a three-year-old little boy who I love with all my heart, and you know, he, he's just all feelings. Everything's feelings. From nap time, to his sister, he's playing his toy, everything's feelings. And we realize this, maybe as I get close to the age of 40, that maybe just maybe at some point in our faith we grow up when we're not three years old anymore. That maybe there's more to life than just feelings. And that our faith plays a pretty key role in that. We are people of faith and not just feelings. And so we come to the place where we go, but what if I'm a true believer and I don't feel saved? Then here's what we do. We allow our faith to inform our feelings and not the reverse. Not the other way around. We don't allow our feelings to dictate to our faith what is right and true because they are a great gift, but they are a terrible guide. And you remember this. You didn't save you. You can't save you. Jesus did. Therefore, your salvation depends on his promises and not your performance. Our salvation in Christ is dependent upon His promises and not our, not our performance. Let me remind you of what I said multiple times. You ready? Don't let what you see, what you hear, what you feel, and what you experience make you forget what He has said. Paul would remind us pretty incredibly here in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace, grace being the unmerited favor of God, grace being God giving to us that which we do not deserve and we cannot earn. For it is by grace in which you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that none of us can brag about it. That our greatest boast might be Jesus. Hey, can I give you a statement here? Speaking of grace, if you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. Hey, if you didn't earn it, you and I don't have the rights to redraw the boundaries. We don't have the rights to put conditions on what God has made unconditional. If you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. Whereas I can lose everything I touch. Jesus loses nothing. Especially those of us who belong to him. So not only does sin confuse and not only do our feelings mislead, but our humanity limits. Our humanity limits us in our understanding, our ability to grasp the unconditional love of God in Christ Jesus. Because you know what, more times than not, do you know the type of relationship and the love we experience as humans is conditional? Meaning this if you love me, I'm going to love you. If you're a jerk to me, I'm going to love you only because Jesus said to. There's a difference. There's a difference. Man, if you're not good to me, man, it's going to be really hard for me. It's, it's conditional. So much of what we experience is. And that's why husbands leave wives after they make promises, and wives leave husbands after they make promises. So much of it's conditional. And yet here we are exposed to the promises of God to this unconditional love, this unconditional promise of His, and in our humanity we are limited in understanding that. In fact, this is why Paul would pray in Ephesians 1.16, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses, watch this, our knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you know what's amazing? To grasp, to put our arms around his unconditional love and therefore his unconditional promises takes even his power to do so. Because our humanity limits us so much. Well, understanding that sin confuses and our feelings mislead and, and at times our humanity limits us, Anthony, how can I sit here today and know that I'm in Christ, let me give you two things. Now, I could give you more. Let me give you two pieces of evidence, biblical evidence that you're in Christ. Number one, there's that critical and crucial moment of believing in Jesus. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Um, this, this word believe, especially utilized here in the New Testament, the Greek language, is more than just an intellectual assent. Saying, I I think something. The word believe means this, placing your full faith and trust in Jesus. And watch this, you ready? And then following him. If you can't check this box for your life, if you've never had this critical and crucial moment of believing on Jesus, placing your full faith and trust in him, then you stand a good chance of not being his. What's the second evidence? Among many, because in here I could have inserted, there is this collective fruit of the Holy Spirit, and the last one really kind of encompasses that. There's conviction of sin, absolutely, but if you ask for two, here's the second. Continuing in your faith. Continuing in your faith. Look what Corinthians writes. Paul writes to Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 1, 8-9. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, he is faithful. I want you to hear me, and there's so much biblical evidence for this. But one of the proofs, one of the evidence that you are in Christ is that there is a continuing of your faith throughout your life. Now, sometimes I'm going to tell you what it feels like. You ready? It feels like one step forward and two steps back. But undergirding all of that, there's a continuing on of your faith and your following Jesus. Are those evidences alive in your life? Do they serve as evidence that would convict you in a court of law of being? A Christian, I I feel this question a lot. So Anthony, what you're telling me is that a person can pray a prayer and live their life like the devil and still be saved. I'm not telling you that at all. In fact, Scripture doesn't teach that. What of the person who was raised in a Christian home and made a decision maybe at an early age, and since they've grown up, they denounce their faith, they no longer follow Christ and they don't want anything to do to Him. They want anything to do with him or his church or anything. I'm going to read you a statement from a pastor that I love listening to, but I can only listen to him in small bits because he's so angry and mad that I just can't do it all the time. But I love it, and he's right. Paul Washer would say this. He would say, If a person professes faith in Christ and yet falls away or makes no progress in godliness... It does not mean that he or she lost their salvation. It reveals that they were never truly saved. And you know what? He's right. It's what the Bible teaches. And like after the first service, I'm going to field a lot of questions for many of you who will come up to the stage and go, well, I know this person, and there was fruit at one season in their life, and and then there's no fruit anymore. How do we do that? And I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know but I don't want to be that person. And I'm going to work and labor and love to make sure they are in Christ and they're walking with him. That that they know Jesus. So the first reason I believe that once we're in Christ, we're always there. Once we're saved, we're forever saved. And Once we're in the family, God never kicks us out. It's because of the promises of God to those in Christ. And don't worry, this point is one... One uh, scripture long, you ready? Here's the second reason, our adoption. Look in Romans chapter eight. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves in eight, 15, and 16, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about, watch this language, your adoption to sonship. Now, ladies, don't get thrown off by sonship here. That is actually a position, a legal status that says, I am heir to what the father has for the son. So ladies are also at a place where we are, all of us, adopted to the sonship, that legal position. And by him, watch this, we cry, Abba, Father. This is an intimate doublespeak here. That word Abba in the Aramaic language, watch this, you ready? It is a little word that has a big amount of affection for this father. In fact, it could well translate for us, daddy, daddy. He says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Here's my question. Why adoption language here in Romans? Why not just say sons and daughters of God? Why the adoption language? Did you know that under Roman law, a father can legally disown his biological son? How terrible. But a father can legally be separated from his son, But once a father under Roman law adopts a son or a daughter, do you know that under Roman law, they can never be separated again? That that father can never disown his adoptive son or daughter. Paul uses the adoption language on purpose because he knew that his Roman readers, these Roman believers reading his letter knew exactly the picture Paul was painting. That once you are in the family of God, you are always in the family of God. He never kicks you out. Author Keith Miller tells the story of one of his small group Bible studies. That as they kind of opened the floor at the end of their small group Bible study one day, a 40-year-old woman stood before the class to share, really to share her testimony of what God was doing in her heart and her life. I want to read part of that to you. She stood up in that small group that day, and she said this, when I was a a tiny little girl, both of my parents died. And I, I found myself in an orphanage. And this kills me, this part. She says, I wasn't pretty, and no one seemed to want. me." She said, but I longed to be adopted. Loved by a a family as far back she shared with the group as I can remember. I I thought about it every day. But everything I did went wrong. I must have tried too hard to please the people who'd come to look me over. And maybe maybe that drove them away, she shared. But then one day, the head of the orphanage told me that a family was coming to take me home with them. She says, I was so excited as a little girl that I began to jump, that I began to cry for great joy. I jumped up and down and cried like a baby. But the head of the school tried to tamper down her expectations and reminded her that she was on trial. And this might not be a permanent arrangement, but but you know what she shared with her small group at 40 years old? But I knew it would work. I knew it would work. So I went with this family, she said. I started school. I was the happiest little girl you can imagine. And life began to open up for me just a little. But then a few months later, she says, I remember it like yesterday. I skipped all the way home from school. When I got home, I opened the door and no one was there. But I saw that my my suitcase was packed and my coat had been put on it. And she said, I suddenly realized I don't belong here anymore. Well, Keith said there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Everybody had teared up and then this 40-year-old woman said, as a matter of fact, This happened to me seven times before I was 13 years old. And then she wiped away the tears. And she said, but wait, don't don't you feel too badly. It was experiences like these that ultimately brought me to Jesus and it's in him is where i found what i've always longed for a place a sense of belonging a forever family i want you to hear me follower of christ and believer when you are a child of god through jesus christ he never tells you to pack your bags you are always, you are always his child. And God doesn't kick his kids out of the family. So here's a picture of your faith in mine. You ready? He loves me. He loves me. I'm his. forever. He loves me. When sin confuses, He loves me. When my feelings mislead, He loves me. When my humanity limits, He loves me. And once I'm His child, He never tells me to pack my bag.